So this Oregon gold miner was headed out west. He came up on this old Indian laying on the wagon trail. Got off his horse, thought the Indian was dead. Walked over to him, the Indian had his ear to the ground, laying there. Looked up at the, at the prospector, the prospector looked at him. The Indian said, wagon, two horses, mule behind wagon. Blonde woman, dark-haired man with long beard, driving wagon. White dog with black spots following behind wagon. The prospector said, whoa, you can tell all that just from putting your ear to the ground? You know what's coming just by listening to the vibrations? The Indian said, no, 10 minutes ago, wagon run me over. We either, we, we, <laughs> that joke's old and it still makes me laugh, still makes me laugh. We either prepare for the future or we get run over by it, okay? Today I want to talk to you about looking ahead and preparing for the future. Please take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so settle in for a good read. Let me give you a tip on church life. And Christianity. When the preacher, whoever you are, starts reading the Bible, that's the moments you should pay the closest, closest attention. Why? Because he can't possibly be wrong when he's reading the Bible. Now, he can interpret it wrongly. He can apply it incorrectly. He can piecemeal it and take it out of context. But when you just read the Bible, you can't be wrong. So this may be the only time I'm never wrong is when I read the Bible. So listen up. Uh, Paul is writing from prison. Think about that. If you were in prison, what would you write? Especially for something you hadn't even done. Ephesians 4, 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, listen to this, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given us as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers... And if you ever wonder what the fivefold ministry of the church is, this is the verse from which that concept is derived. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. To, if you want to know what my job description is and Pastor Josh's job description, Pastor Brad's job description, Pastor Donna's job description, it is to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach what? What are we striving for? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What's the result of that going to be? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, circumstances, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, let me just stop and give you a little Bible study if you want a great one. Start at the end of this next paragraph and reverse engineer what he said back to the beginning. And there's a process in there of growth and development, what not to do, to what, what will hinder your growth and development that's, that's powerful. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. All that starts with the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, I don't underline or highlight in my Bible, my paper Bible, I never have, because I don't like to predispose myself to any verses. I like everything fresh and clean first time I see it. Most of the time we read the Bible probably on devices like iPads or computers or phones. But if you do highlight or underline in your Bible or you somehow note it on your, on your device, this is a great one, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God. Did you ever think that you're created to be like God? Well, it'd be nice to have all that power. That's not what he's talking about. How? In true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I want to stop here, and I want you to stop reading, and I want you to listen to me. I have the greatest marriage of any man who's ever lived. I'm just telling you straight up. All these people that talk about how we have to work on our marriage. It's a struggle. It's difficult. It's tough. <laughs> Not for me. I have the greatest marriage in the world. I'm just being honest with you. Pastor Don and I get along. My daddy used to say, uh, Vera and I get along like two little lambs. She lambs me beside the head and I lamb her back. You know, But that's not what we do. <laughs> Let me tell you the secret to a great marriage. Are you ready for this? This is so deep and profound. I don't know if many of you can grasp it. I'll have, to, I'll have to get into the Greek to define it for you. Here's the secret to a great marriage. Just be nice to each other. Amen. Now, in, now, in the Greek, here's what that means. Be nice to each other. You know, every, every, I'm going to just say this. I've been in the ministry all my life, and I disagree with a bunch of pastors on a bunch of things. I do. I disagree with stuff on leadership. I disagree with stuff on philosophy. I disagree with a whole bunch of stuff. And if I had played the game, I could have a, we could all be in a 5,000-member church. I just refuse to play the game. I just don't play the game. Everybody wants to hear that me and Donna struggle in our marriage like everybody else struggles. I don't want the guy who failed brain surgery operating on me. I don't want to take skiing lessons from the guy who falls down the blue slope. I want, to, I want to take advice from somebody who's had some semblance of success at something. We have had a great marriage and still do. 
And I'm not bragging. I'm thankful to God. Let me tell you what everybody will tell you. The biggest problem in marriage is lack of communication. That's not true. The second biggest marriage and problem is financial issues. That's not true either. The third biggest problem in marriage is intimacy. That's not true. All the problems in marriage come from one thing, selfishness. Every single one of them. They can all be traced back to that root. And most of the time it manifests itself in a power struggle. Who's going to control who in the marriage? If you're still trying to figure out who's dominate, dominant in your house and who's going to control the other person, you're destined for a rough road. And go back to my Greek statement, just be nice to each other. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. You know what that means in the Greek? It means nobody owes you a cotton-picking thing. Go get you a job. Government doesn't owe you anything. See, I got somebody upset already. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let, oh, here we go. Now I want you to reset, hit the, re, hit the refresh button. Ready? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What does that mean? What is unwholesome talk? You know, I'll tell you what unwholesome talk is to God. It's negativity. Now, this freaks people out when I say it. But I'm one of those hardcore people that just believes what the Bible tells us. I don't believe that I want to insult your intelligence by trying to sugarcoat everything to make it more palatable to you. you want, how many of you want to know the truth? Raise your hand. You want to know the truth? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free. God killed more of his own people, and he did. Read the Bible. God killed more of his own people over grumbling and complaining and gossip than anything else. The Bible says, the words of our mouth, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Grumbling, complaining, and gossip, criticism especially over people that God placed in authority over them. I'm not saying you can never disagree. I'm saying be respectful and don't gossip. If you've got something to say to the Royal Ranger commander and you don't like the way he treated your kid, you don't tell 14 neighbors and then the Royal Ranger commander. You go to the Royal Ranger commander and you talk to him first. And he's really the only one you should talk to. I'm not even preaching on this. <laughs> Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you receive for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. What does every form of malice actually mean? It means what God's word says it means, not what we decide it means. And that's where a lot of Christians get in trouble. They interpret the word of God in, in terms of what they believe it should mean. The best way to interpret what that means is look up other verses like it in the Bible and find out what it means. Because the agenda here is not to decide what we believe it means, but to find out what God intends it to mean. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. Now let me show you how forgiveness works. 
If I lifted up my T-shirt, which I'm not going to do, but if I did, you would see a scar all the way from the Netherlands to here. And that scar is there because of a wreck I got in in 1976. And they didn't think I was going to live, so they didn't really put stitches in it. They took two long pieces of cord and just zigzagged it through the scar, the, the operation incision, and they just taped it. So when it, when it was healing, those two long pieces of suture sort of healed in each little suture hole where they sewed it in, out, in, out. And they tied a loop in the middle and a knot on each end so it wouldn't go into the, into the scar, into the incision. Because they, they thought my spleen was ruptured because I was losing so much blood, so they did abdominal surgery to check, took out all my intestines and everything, laid them on the table and checked me out. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> you don't want to wake up then. <laughs> anyway, they set me up in a, in a bed for days, maybe a couple of weeks in the, in the trauma unit. I'm sitting up in the bed, hunkered up. Well, then one day when they figured out I was going to live, they came and got me out of the bed and laid me out on a flat stretcher. Well, this scar had healed, crunkled up. When they laid me out, it stretched and pulled all that. You talk about pain. They probably heard me in Utah. So when the doctors came to take the stitches out, you've all had stitches. Many of you have had stitches taken out. You know, they snip one, they pull it out. It's a little uncomfortable. It doesn't hurt. Not this one. They cut that loop in the middle, and they grabbed the bottom one, and went zoop, and just slid it out. I didn't know my toes could do that kind of contractions. <laughs> it was very painful. Watch this. Watch this. You know what that means? That means the scar is healed. That means the wound is healed. Now, I've still got a scar, but it doesn't hurt. If you'd have done that the third week after my surgery, I wouldn't have been able to do anything to you. I'd have just prayed for God to smite you. Because it would have hurt so bad. Now, I can hit myself, and it doesn't hurt. That's how you know you've forgiven somebody. You can remember the wound without the pain. All right. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is looking ahead. Looking ahead. Now, this is a very pastoral message, so I want you to settle in for a few minutes. I'm, tr I'm going to try not to talk a long time today because I know we've got this storm coming. Let me give you the update on the storm, by the way. Yesterday, about this time, they were projecting the eye of the storm to come right over Douglasville. It has shifted westward more, so the eye is not going to come over Douglasville anymore. The prognostication for the weather here is for us to have winds over the next 36 hours, beginning later tonight, from 35 to 45 miles an hour, with occasional gusts up to 55 miles an hour, give or take. Now, that's not carved in stone. That's a weatherman guessing. And if you know anything about weathermen, <laughs> so it could be a lot less than that. It could, it could be a little more than that. My counsel to you, by the way, there are two places in Douglasville that I, that I know of you can get gas and two places you can get water. So right after service, if you don't have gas or water, and, and water is not a big deal for us because we're on city water, but if you have a well that runs on electricity, you may want to go get some water because probably some people are going to be with, without electricity. So there's gas at the racetrack down Fairburn Road, and there's gas at Kroger on Hospital Drive. There's water at CVS down Fairburn Road, and they don't put a limit on how much water you can get. 
So that's just informational. Number one, this is an exciting time for LifePoint Church. You are in a very exciting time for LifePoint Church because Pastor Donna and I are transitioning out of the pastorate and into missions work, as it were, and Pastor Josh and Kelly hopefully will be your new pastors. So you're going to have new leadership with a vision. New leadership with a vision. It's always an exciting time when new leadership comes into play because new leaders come into play and they've got a fresh vision. They've got a fresh kind of excitement, a passion to, to do what God has called them to do. So be excited about this transition time in our church. Amen? Pastor Don and I have been with you for 22 years and we loved, we loved almost every minute of that. <laughs> there are some times we had to we had to do some spiritual warfare but that's all part of it that comes with the territory you have new leadership coming in with a vision you have innovative ways of doing things now pastor josh and pastor kelly may change some things around here you know what everybody everybody we're going to all imitate a cow together on three, do your best moo, all right? One, two, three. All right. There are no sacred cows in this church. The only cows in this church are the ones you just heard, and none of them are sacred. The point is, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that can't be changed in terms of how you do stuff. I know this man. He's not going to come in here and start preaching heresy. I don't have to worry about that. If I had to worry about that, I would have been quiet about all this. I know he's going to preach the word. But there are some changes that, that he may decide to make. The Spirit of God, you know, the Spirit of God speaks to spiritual leaders about even about how you do things. Jesus even said, my Father's given me what to say and how to say it. Pastor Josh and Kelly may feel like they need to make some changes. They may change the order of service. They may change the times that service happens. They may go to more than one service. They may change what happens on Wednesday night. You know what? For mature Christians, it doesn't matter at all. For immature Christians, they have to have an opinion about everything. Can I just set you free this morning? You don't have to have an opinion about everything. Let me tell you something. I know a lot of these newscasters about Irma look like they're just so eager to forecast disaster. <sighs> Reminds me of that old song by Glenn Fry and the Eagles. Got a bubble-headed bleach blonde comes on at five. She can tell you about the plane crash with a gleam in her eye. It's interesting when people die. Got dirty laundry. Remember that old song? Yeah. Listen. Stop judging the newscaster's motives. It doesn't matter if it seems like they're eager to, to forecast disaster. Truthfully, as Christians, we do not know their hearts. And to just decide, look at all these newscasters. They make me sick because they're just so eager to talk about how devastating this storm and it's catastrophic and it floods. They have a job to do and they're trying to get the information out. And if, if any of them do have this eagerness to see disaster happen so their ratings will grow up, you know who's going to judge them for that? God. It's not your place or mine to do that. So leave them alone. In the same way, look at the person beside you on the pew. Say these words to them. 
Leave me alone. <laughs> Some of y'all enjoyed that too much. <laughs> what I mean by that is Christians ought not to judge each other's hearts. Now, you can judge what you know. If somebody comes around the corner screaming, Allahu Akbar, I kill you all, I'm not going to wait. I'm judging that right then. It's on, baby. I ain't running. Pastor Josh, standing over me with a bloody knife and I'm dead, you know, unless he's got a real good excuse, you can sort of kind of judge that, you know. You can judge what you know, but you can't judge what you don't know. Told this story a long time ago. What if you walk by a pastor's office in a church somewhere and you knew that his secretary was in there with him because you heard her voice, you heard his voice, and she went, and just, just don't get offended, just follow me through this because this could happen. And she goes, mm, oh, my God, that's so good. Oh, my God. Oh, pastor. This is, oh, you're amazing. Oh, pastor. You're going to run away thinking. What you don't know is his secretary, her husband, and the pastor are sitting there eating chocolate. But it sounded like something different. Don't judge stuff you don't know. Don't look in the keyhole of the Biltmore house and decide it all looks like the broom closet. And people will do that. Innovative ways of doing things are good. Change can be very good. Change can be indicative of growth. Change can be something we should all as mature Christians embrace, not judge and do this and become. The, the worst thing you can do in a church is decide, I'm just going to sit back and see how this goes. I'll tell you how, if everybody does that, it's going to go, everybody needs to get involved, get behind this man's leadership and see what this church can do for God in this community. Pastor Josh has a very intense excitement to invest in you. He has a very intense commitment to invest in you. One of his gifts is teaching on spiritual leadership. He is a gifted leader and a leadership teacher. I encourage you to begin praying even now about stepping up into some positions of leadership because there are some positions of leadership that are going to come open and some already are open and we want you to begin to pray about how God might use you to fill some of these positions. Pray about stepping up. So number two, change can be an incredible opportunity. Mature Christians understand this. Immature Christians do not. Immature Christians don't like change. They grumble about everything. They look for a, a reason to be upset. They, they feed on drama. Immature Christians do more damage to the body of Christ than any other group of people. And just because you're old chronologically doesn't mean you're mature spiritually. Some of the biggest warlocks and witches I've ever met had a, a golden crown of gray hair. So mature Christians understand that does, I didn't just say all old people are warlocks, okay? <laughs> I didn't say that. Mature Christians, mature, if people can hear the wrong thing, they will, I'm telling you. 
Mature Christians understand that innovation and change can be an incredible opportunity. Don't resist changes. Help implement them. Amen? And lastly, pray about stepping up, what I just said just a moment ago. This is, a, this is an important time for not just Pastor Josh and Kelly and me and Donna. It's, it's an important time for everybody in the church. This is a great time for us to come together in unity. And, and it's not, there's no disunity in the church. No, there's no problems. And Pastor Donna and I aren't stepping down over any problems. I want you to understand that this is the healthiest our church has ever been spiritually. It's a fantastic time. And I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for making it that way. Now, I give God the glory, but I'm proud of you. But it's, it's important to think, you know, this is kind of a clean slate for everybody. Wonder what God might do with me. You ever ask yourself, wonder what God could do with me if I just let him? Because God's never going to snatch you up and make you do anything. I talk about my father and, and his physical strength. He was an incredible man. You didn't grab my daddy's hand and do the handshake crush on him. He'd break your bones. He could. He'd just crush your hand. I don't know how his forearms, I guess, doing body works, pressed 300 pounds on a bathroom scale. I saw him pick up an engine block and just walk off with it. It's like he'd walk up to your car, the motor of your car, squat down like that and pick the wheel up clear of the ground. He could do it. He was a powerful man. And when my daddy grabbed a hold of you, you run by him and he grabbed a hold of you, you weren't going anywhere. You just froze, not just from him grabbing you, but from the realization, my hand's in a vice. Daddy had to govern himself when he spanked me so that he didn't do indelible damage. God's not going to do that. God is not going to be R.L. Yarborough in your life. He is not going to snatch you up and force you to do anything. But he is going to whisper in your spirit, hey, if you'll trust me and you'll step out in faith, I can do things in you and through you that you never imagined you could do. Listen, when we all hear Ephesians 3.20, we think, now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. We think financial blessings. We think magical weight loss. We think, we think all kinds of blessings, promotions at our job. What we never think is that God might do those things in us, in our spirit, in our attitude, in our maturity level, in our willingness to serve, in our faithfulness to church. I'm just going to hit the pause button right now. I'm going to say something to you. I was born in 1960. I was born basically on a church pew pretty much. I've been in church all my life. I've worked out there in the world. I know what it's like to go have a job. I've had, I don't know, dozens and dozens of jobs. Some of them good, some of them terrible. So I hadn't always been a pastor. And I'm going to tell you something. In all my life, I've never, <clears throat> I've never seen a time when Christians were more flighty and carefree about their loyalty and faithfulness and commitment to the kingdom of God. And that needs to change if we as the church, and I'm talking about life one, I'm talking about the church in general, if we ever want to really have an impact in America, we have got to be faithful to the church. Yes. And I want to say a word to you too. Pastor Josh and Kelly are not 
Pastor Roland and Donna. Do not expect them to be. And that's okay. Don't expect them to deal with issues the way I dealt with issues or the way Pastor Donna dealt with issues. And that's okay. Pastor Donna is ooey-gooey, sweet and chewy, and she's just bubbly and lovey and effervescent, and she's just so nice. And, and I'm going to tell you, Pastor Kelly might not be quite that way. <laughs> Pastor Kelly's a little bit more direct. She's my secretary. I know her. She's a little bit more direct. And you know what? That's okay. And she's got babies. She's got young'uns. It just might be that your young'un and her young'un might have a fight. Her young'un might bite your young'un. That is not a freaking reason to leave the church. We got to get over this stuff. I heard a, a guy the other day talking about a two-year-old in his car just pitching a fit and screaming his brains out. And the man finally stopped the car trying and said, you realize you're doing all this over a pretzel? Yes. <laughs> we let pretzels blow our lives up. Listen, we throw a party. Listen, let me tell you how this stuff happens. Somebody throws a party, a birthday party, a shower, a football party. I don't know, somebody in the church throws a party. And invites all the people in the church to come. Hopes they show up. And their night, Friday night, the big party comes and two people from the church show up. And they get all offended and all upset and all mad and all hurt. First of all, right there, period, stop. Don't go any further. If you're hurt over that, you need serious maturity to happen in your life. Because the lives we live and the, and the ways lives are structured now, it's not easy to get people together for anything. And people, the people will get mad and upset and just leave church over something silly like that. You're throwing a tantrum over a pretzel. That's all you're doing. I charge you. I have a word about all that. You ready? I have a word. You ready? Stop. That's my word. Number three, God put you here as part of his plan. God put you here as part of his plan. I believe every single person is here involved in this church because God brought you here. None of this that's happening in our church took God by surprise. In fact, he's the progenitor and the author of all of it. He's the one who planned it. So none of this took him by surprise. It shouldn't take you by surprise either. One of the, one of the most common forces in life that happens to us is change. Amen? We ought to be able to accept and embrace change. LifePoint Church is here to have a high impact in this community. That's our purpose, to have a high impact in this community. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean this. I mean this altar, maybe not every single service, but on a regular basis, this altar ought to be full of people praying, rededicating their lives to God, getting saved, seeking after the baptism in the Holy Spirit. On the Sunday, several weeks back, on the Sunday that I first told you that Pastor Don and I were stepping down. Now, if you, if you follow the church gurus who teach you how to preach... They will tell you, you just can't give an evangelistic altar call after a pastoral resignation. Seven people got saved that Sunday morning. Back on Bright Star Road. Yeah, that's all right. Back on Bright Star Road, I remember one day I preached on tithing and financial stewardship. If you listen to all the brainiacs about how to preach, they will tell you that you just can't give an altar call for salvation after you preach on finances. 
says who? Nine people got saved that morning. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. So what needs to happen in this church is that the altars need to continue to be fruitful. And they will be if we will all pray and seek God. They will be. So when I say high impact in the community, I'm not just talking about visibility projects. I'm not just talking about involvement in parades and stuff going on at the downtown square. When I say an impact in this community, I'm talking about people coming to know Jesus. Now listen to me. If the church doesn't result in life-changing regeneration through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, if we're not seeing people saved, if we're not seeing people born again, and again, I don't mean necessarily every service and you've got to keep score. It's not about that. But on a regular recurring basis, if we don't see people getting saved, we're no longer a church. We are a club. And we have meetings for the sake of having meetings. And I'm going to tell you what's happening in in some circles in in, in our country. And I'm just going to say this to you because it's the truth. What's happening in a lot of places is that church is really has has, has become, it has morphed into something that's parachurch. They sing the right songs and they know the right lingo. But in a lot of places what's happened is the church has basically become a big meeting And the pastor has basically become a motivational speaker. And everybody is there to be encouraged, nothing more. You can encourage me. You can tell me God's in my future planning for my blessing. You can tell me how God's working for me. But don't you dare talk to me about my responsibility. Don't you dare talk to me about sin. Don't you dare tell me I need to change. You just make me feel better about the way I'm living now. That's what church has degenerated to in a lot of places. And I'm going to tell you something. You have to be careful or you'll get sucked into it. Because it's very seductive to just go and hear encouragement. Because because it's true. Most of what they're saying is true. God does want to bless us. Amen? Amen? God does want to go before us and give us favor. That's in the Bible. Yes, it's true. The problem is you can't cherry pick the word of God. And just give people dessert. You have to feed the meat and the vegetables. Because that dessert tastes good. But after a while, you're going to be unhealthy. And church is not about how big it is or how much money it has or how many people it talks to on the TV or the internet. Church is about changing lives. It's about spiritual health. Ultimately, it's about getting people to heaven. You are in LifePoint Church to fulfill God's purpose in your life. Isn't it amazing that in this great country we call the United States, we still have the freedom to gather and do what we're doing this morning? Isn't that incredible? I do want to go back and tell you that Pastor Kelly is a very loving person. I didn't, finish, I didn't finish that up. She's very loving. One of the sweetest people I've ever known. Truly, she is. Kind of having fun. Kind of having fun. She is. I'm kind of having fun with all this. And we ought to have fun with it. It's like, it's like with Pastor Josh. Boy, you should have seen his face. He went, <laughs> what's he going to say? You never know. Just joking. God brought you here as part of his plan for your life. Think about that. If you really look at the biblical pattern for church, 
There is no place for spectators. Did you know that? A lot of people's idea of church is to come to church, sit in a seat, listen to the music, listen to the preacher, make some friends, and go home and get on with life. That is a glittering bit of fool's gold. It's not what God intended. God intended for us to be agent provocateurs in this world. If you don't know what an agent provocateur is, if you go to spy school called the farm, you'll learn that an agent provocateur is somebody that goes to a different country and basically through interpersonal connections provokes unrest. Do it through money, do it through political ideology, do it through threat, do it through seduction, honey traps, all kind of things. But an agent provocateur provokes change, basically the overthrow of a regime. We did a lot of that in Cuba over the years, and it never worked. But in other places, it did work, like Iraq. We're supposed to be an agent provocateur in the world. We're supposed to provoke the status quo. Man, don't let the world overshadow us. Don't be intimidated by what the world is doing. Don't be intimidated by what Satan does. Don't be intimidated by the culture in which we live. God said he put us here to be lights in the darkness, to be a a lampstand on a hill, not shut down under a bowl, but shining brightly to give light to all in the house. Jesus called us, not his disciples, us, the light of the world. He called us the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be Agents of change in this world. May this church and may you find your place in it to be the person God created you to be. I don't want to get gross in graphics, so I'm going to say this tastefully. But you need to understand you are not just the product of a biological event that took place nine months before you were born. God breathed life into you in your mother's womb. And you are here for a reason. And the most important thing in your life and mine is to discover why God put you here. And then to fulfill that like a grown man or a grown woman. Overlooking the little things you might not like. Overlooking the little differences of opinion. Overlooking the little things that don't matter. And they're all little things and none of them matter. As long as we're preaching the word and letting God be God. Get involved in your church. Don't just attend. Get involved. And lastly, we're becoming your missionaries. All this works together beautifully if we will all walk in unity and in faith. Pastor Don and I are not severing our relationship with you. We love you. We have always loved you, and we will always love you. Thank you. One person loves us back. We appreciate it. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, It was just too good to pass up, Christina. Thank you. But anyway, we love you guys. And, And especially those of you who've been faithful and committed for a long, long time. We appreciate that more than you could ever possibly know. And we truly love you. And we don't want to ever feel like we've, we're severed from you in terms of relationship. And, and that's, that's why we want you to think of us as your missionaries. But when we make this change, you're going to have to give Pastor Josh and Kelly 
the same kind of respect that you gave us. The same kind of faithfulness and commitment. The same kind of loyalty. And refer to them as Pastor Josh. It's an honor. It's a title of honor. A great honor. I mean, I'm sure he's not going to throw water in your face if you call him Josh. He's not going to send you an Alabama football if you send call Kelly Kelly. He's not going to buy you an Auburn jacket for Christmas, you know, if you're an Alabama fan. But treat these guys with the same kind of respect because they've proven themselves already. They've been here 17 years, right? 18, 17, 18 years. They've proven themselves already. They already should have your respect. Let me encourage you. To look at this time of transition as a positive. Let me encourage you. Get on board. Let there be no question in your mind. I said let there be no question in your mind. Let there be no doubt in your spirit. Resolve it all today. Put it all behind you and understand this I believe with all my heart is what God wants us to do. So get involved. Start praying about where God would have you to serve. And understand that this works beautifully. If we walk in unity and in faith, make every effort to keep the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. Now I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you a question today. And this is a little different question than I normally ask, but it's what I feel prompted to do. Normally at this point, I give an altar call for salvation. But today, I feel prompted to do something different. And I want you to know up front, normally, most of the time, for an altar call like this, I'll ask people to come to the altar. For whatever reason, I feel like the Holy Spirit would be pleased if I did not have people come to the altar today and just prayed for you where you are. Because I want you to feel safe and secure in responding to this question. I really feel like this is what the Holy Spirit would have me ask you today. The verse in Ephesians 4 that says, make every effort to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace is written, is written in its context to church people, and the context is in church government, church life, church membership. He's talking to the church, be in unity and be in peace. But I want to I believe all of you pretty much are in peace and in unity behind this transition. What I want to ask you is about peace and unity in your personal life, in your family. If you're here this morning and you are really struggling with relationships in your family, maybe it's you and your spouse, maybe it's you and your children, maybe it's you and an ex, who knows what it could be, you and in-laws, I don't know. But if you're struggling to find peace and unity in relationships in your life, maybe it's at work, maybe it's just a friendship gone wrong, I want you to know God is the restorer of things that seem irreconcilable. So I'm going to count to three. And if you're here this morning and there are issues of strife, pain, disunity in relationships in your life. 
and your heart is broken. When I count to three, I just want you to lift your eyes and look at me. One, two, three. Lift your eyes. I see yours. I see yours. I see yours and yours and yours. Yours. I see yours. I praise God for your honesty. I see yours. Praise God for your honesty. Let's all stand. Let's all stand right now. Everybody. Heavenly Father, as we close this service, I ask you to do something immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine in our hearts. I ask you to let a spirit of willingness come over us right now. As the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 51, God grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, I pray for a willing spirit in the hearts of these people this morning. A willing spirit willing to forgive, willing to change, willing to stop antagonistic behavior, willing to stop trying to control. And instead, there would be a spirit of unity and a bond of peace, a spirit of love and not selfishness because hatred is not the opposite of love. Selfishness is a spirit of giving, a spirit of yieldedness, a spirit of forgiveness and accepting forgiveness in truth. Father, all these things don't take place always with immediacy. Many of these things take time. Many of these things require weeks, sometimes months to change, to heal, to recover from. And trust that is broken has to be rebuilt. It has to be earned back. I ask you, O oh God, to give us the patience of understanding, to give us the wisdom of maturity, to give us a spirit of anointing for this, that we would be a yielded person, understanding that just as God in Christ forgave us, so we are to forgive others. I ask for a spirit of forgiveness. I ask for supernatural healing in relationships and in hearts. And I ask that painful words would cease and that wounding actions would stop and cease and desist right now. Lord, reconcile broken relationships. Heal wounded hearts. Restore fractured relationships. And cement them together. Lord, this old world can be a mean, cruel place. All we really have is each other. If we lose sight of that, we're lost. I ask you, oh God, to let us do everything we need to do to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Heal our hearts, oh Lord, right now. Salve the wounds, oh Lord, right now. Let no one seek revenge or vengeance right now, emotionally, relationally, but let us be forgivers because old gray-haired people who are breathing their last breaths do not rejoice in the revenge or the vengeance they have gotten. They rejoice in the love they've experienced. I pray, oh God, that we live our lives in love and in sacrifice just as you did. And I pray these things over these beautiful people today in the name of Jesus. Amen.